0: Hello, and welcome to Benjamin Mamacay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and joining me on the show today is actor and performer and comedian Francis Greenslade, and you probably know him best from working alongside Sean McAuliffe in The Sean McAuliffe Show, McAuliffe Tonight, and of course, most famously, Mad As Hell, which is returning to the ABC very shortly. He's also known for his role on Winners and Losers and his guest appearances on Sea Change. And then, after that interview, we've got another very special guest, thanks to Oz Comic-Con this week. That's Stephen Hunter, who played Bomba the Dwarf in the Hobbit films. And uh, I think you'll find that one very interesting as well, so it's double the fun today. But first, here's my interview with Francis Greenslade, star of Mad As Hell. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, you're a performer, teacher, musician and writer, but what do you enjoy doing the most?
1: Um, Well, I'm originally an actor. I mean, I always wanted to be an actor and um, I seem to stray into comic roles, so that's where I'm most at home. Um, And that's sort of my identity. But, uh, you know, as you get older, you start to think you know what's what and have delusions of being able to tell other people about it. So I'm... Becoming a teacher as well, which is um, quite fun. Um, in a sort of, you know... Yeah, it's it's another nice to have another little string. But basically, I think I'm, I'm an actor,
0: yeah. OK, and as you mentioned, you seem to do a lot of comedy roles. What attracted you to comedy over other genres?
1: I... Look, I, I don't think anything attracted me... I remember doing some... Um, we had to do a little uh, drama thing in grade five or something like that, or grade six, and I remember um, doing something that I thought was quite serious and getting gales of laughter, so, you know, I think it's more that, which which I found quite confronting um, at, at the time, so I think it's more that, you know, you do something and people laugh at it, and suddenly you realise, okay, that's, that's what makes people laugh, whereas the original <laughs> intention was not to make them laugh at all, um, So I just think, you know, there's something about me that looks a bit ridiculous and people laugh at And so I ended up, you know, doing comic roles.
0: Would you have preferred to take a sort of a more straight acting kind of uh, path?
1: Every um, single comedian on the planet thinks that um, underneath their comic exterior there is a, a, you know, a brilliant dramatic actor that's just been stifled because of you know lack of intelligent casting so yeah you always i mean and i do think that comedy is much harder than than just you know straight drama you've got to do everything as an actor that you would do in um if you're doing a dramatic role but if you're doing a comedy role you've got to do everything that you would do as as a dramatic actor plus be aware that it's a comedy you know it's it's there's a there's a There's more elements to it. It's more complex, and whereas you can get away with any old tosh when you're a a dramatic actor, you can't when you're a comic actor because sometimes there's only one way to get the laugh. Um, And I I would like—I mean, I have done some serious stuff, and it's always, you know, um, fun to do. But my my natural home is—you know—I grew up, went to uni, and did, you know, uh, footlights. Um, which is, you know, wearing a sketch and saying, come in, Miss Smithers, in a funny voice, and that's sort of where I'm... I'm. That's my spiritual home, really, doing that sort of thing.
0: OK. Well, who inspired you to take this path?
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there, I was taken to the theatre quite a lot when I was young by my mother, um, so that was always considered that it was something that was, you know, important, the theatre... And who um, yeah, inspired me? That's a, uh, it was just something I always wanted to do. I didn't ever really consider that I would be able to do it, but it always seemed like the most exciting and um, job you could possibly imagine, um, to be upstage performing in front of people. And then when I hit uni, there was a friend of mine who joined Footlights, and I thought, well, if he can, I can. Uh, and so I joined it too. Um, so he was a, a bit of an inspiration, I suppose. Um, uh, yeah, but, but I just think it was something I gravitated towards.
0: Okay. Well, it's a very difficult career to take, so can you talk us through your career journey?
1: <laughs> very kind of you to call it a career. Um, I started out, um, as I said, doing these, these shows at, um, reviews at, at University which we thought were hilarious um, and when I left uni um, uh, the people I've been doing a couple of people I've been doing reviews with one of whom was Sean McAuliffe who I'm sure you know mm-hmm. um, and me and another guy decided we wanted to keep on doing shows um, we kept on so we kept on doing these um, little you know comedy um, shows in various places around Adelaide and uh, And someone came to see one, and as a consequence of that, I got an audition at the state theatre company in South Australia in a production of *The Tempest*. So that was my really my first professional gig, Um, and I then I you know started to get more you know serious theatre work. I spent some time in a uh, a lovely company called Magpie, which was the uh, South Australian kids theatre company. And I did more and more theatre. And eventually, I mean, as lovely as Adelaide is, it's difficult to to maintain a career as an actor there because the population doesn't really allow it. Mm. Um, So I moved to Melbourne um, and I managed to get an agent. And, and, you know, I got, you know, little dribs and drabs of work and that got more and more and more and more and and hopefully it will, you know, continue. but it's more a, f- a function of several other things that, you know, I was at uni and and um, all of the things that I tried, that I, that I did, like, you know, uh, a university degree or applying for other jobs or even working, I managed to sort of um, subconsciously sabotage until really, you know, I was completely unfit for anything except being a performer and had no qualifications in anything at all. So, you know, by then it was too late that was the only thing i could i could do
0: okay well was there one project or experience you saw as a turning point for your career
1: um i think when i came to melbourne um i was in this company called magpie and we did a, a show for the adelaide festival that then came to melbourne um called funerals and circuses and it uh, the artistic director had managed to persuade paul kelly to come and do the the music and performing the show as well so it was a it was a big sort of draw card and the show was quite a, a brilliant show i thought you know it had it was a lot of um, i can't remember what you call it theater where people the actors move around um, you know and do the the play among you and then they went and sat down and then they moved around to another place and there were some great songs and um, you know the whole cast played um, in the band and it was quite a spectacular show and went to the Melbourne festival and I thought, well, I, you know, that was when I decided to move to Melbourne. Um, and I got, and that's how I got an agent. Um, and then it sort of, once you have an agent, then the agent will send you to auditions and hopefully you'll get them. So that was really for me coming to Melbourne and, um, being able to establish myself with that show was a, was
0: a pretty big thing. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned doing some children's shows and you've also uh, performed comedy for adults. Is there a lot of delivery change for the different audiences?
1: Uh, I think you find that the, the, the kids are a little bit more honest um, with their response, so it keeps you on your toes, you know, there's less politeness. And, you know, there were times when we'd be doing some show out in the boondocks of the Adelaide suburbs to a a group of, you know, highly overexcited year nines and you think, well, I have, we've lost, you know, there was a battle that started when we started the play and at no point did we gain the advantage at all and we've just been doing this show for, you know, 45 minutes and all they, well, they've been doing is shouting at us. Um, that's very good training. Audiences, I mean, adult audiences tend to be a little bit more polite and a little bit more, especially Melbourne audiences, they think they're terribly sophisticated, which they are. Um uh, but, yeah, you can't hide when there are, when there are kids uh, in the audience. It's a, it's a very naked place on stage.
0: Oh, really? have you ever had any run-ins with audience members after the shows?
1: Um, uh, one, this wasn't after the show. We were doing um, Alice in Wonderland um, in Adelaide. and keep on talking about my children's theatre days, um, which wasn't a great success. So they decided to bus um, uh, the old people's homes in to see the show, so we were doing a matinee in front of, you know, a small audience and um, some old age pensioners, and at one point, one um, elderly lady turned to her friend and said, I don't like him, (laughs) and um, there were three of us on stage, three males, and we sort of froze, (laughs) hoped the matter would be left there, but her bloody friend, um, of course, (laughs) had to ask, which one don't you like? And uh, she said, I don't like the one with the dark, curly hair. I don't like him. And I thought, oh, God. And there's no... You know, you've got to keep on doing the show. Knowing oh, Everyone in the audience knows that you're the one that she doesn't like. So that was fairly confronting.
0: So how, how do you move on as an actor and just keep doing the show?
1: I don't know. You've got to have some sort of, um, you know, you've got to <laughs> have some strength inside um, to, to just, you know, while you're dying... On going through the motions, but I mean, you get used to that. You get you know a bad review and a good review, and the bad reviews annoy you for a while, and you forget them. And the good reviews, you go, Well, that person knows what they're talking about. Um, so you just got to be you know, accept the fact that and that people some people are going to like you and some people aren't.
0: Absolutely. So, what's been your favorite project to work on so far? Uh, I think that uh, some of the McAuliffe stuff, um, the McAuliffe program which we did three
1: series of, and it was a a sketch comedy show. And um, I think that was, um, uh, you know, uh, with Sean and and Gary McCaffrey, who's another old Adelaide footlighter, doing the bulk of the writing and, and, um, uh, you know, cast mainly Sean, but then me and um, Wayne Hope, who's now, you know, he's done The Librarians and... um, uh, middle Bogan and, you know, some great shows and Roz Hammond, who's a, a, a brilliant um, comic actress and myself um, in the cast and I think that was that was, you know, I look back and I think that was, that was some really good really good shows that um, as far as sketch comedy goes, you know, I think that, that those shows can um, really hold their head high
0: Okay, well you've talked about your favourites, so what would be your ideal project?
1: Um I'd like to be in a sitcom. I'd like to, you know, Australia hasn't really cracked the idea of the, the, the sitcom yet. There've been some great ones, like you know, if you call Frontline a sitcom, that was fantastic. But um, we have, we don't really know how to do it. I think I don't think we concentrate enough on the writing. Um, but that would be lovely to be a, you know, a regular character
0: in a sitcom. That just, you know, went for a few series. Ooh. I think that's the
1: next. Thing
0: I'd like to do. It would be a lot of fun. Mm, yeah. Now, as you've mentioned, you work with Sean McAuliffe and a lot of our listeners would know you from Mad as Hell, and there are many memorable skits on that show. What's been your favourite to film so far? Um,
1: I had to do uh, a. Well, it wasn't really a Tony Abbott impersonation, but it was copying Tony Abbott's um, speech patterns, and it was a, a, a sketch written by Gary McCaffrey, um, beautifully, you know, observing what Tony Abbott does now that he's Prime Minister, which is, you know, so slow and maddening. Um, And while I did feel a bit dirty doing the research, um, having to watch um, uh, our good Prime Minister over and over again, um, I, I, you know, I think that was a, that was a great one to do because it was just so, you know, uh, I don't know what the adjective, but that gave me a lot of satisfaction.
0: Mm. Well, you've also created some memorable characters on the show. How much input do you have into those characters?
1: Oh, we have a bit. It's very... Um, Mad as Hell's really um, fast-paced. You know, you get the sketches perhaps two or three days before, and then they're always being changed up until the last moment, and then you might, you know, the night before, get a new sketch because something's happened in the news and it's got to be covered. Um, so there's not a lot of time. Um... It's a very interesting process because, um, you know, we've got a great wardrobe and a great makeup department, and you go in on the day, and here's your wig, and here's your costume, and all right. And then there is some, you know, you can have some give and take. Sometimes you say, well, I don't want a wig, or I want a moustache, or, or I need a pair of glasses, or you know, whatever. Um, but it's really, and there isn't much. You've also so that that's really interesting that process of building a character, right, Let's. there's no time to, to think about it, let's just do it. Um, but also with Mad as Hell, which isn't the case with, wasn't the case with something like the McAuliffe program, a lot of the characters are, are either experts or, or they're public servants or they're journalists or they might be politicians. But they're... So it's a very... It's a much smaller range of character. Um, so there's a much smaller um Amount of possibilities, you know. In program, I might be playing a, uh, you know, a Nazi war criminal, or a, uh, you know, a, an art critic, or a, you know, a builder's labourer, or a circus performer. You know, you just got all these characters that, you know, the very wide range. But here, you're playing something, someone that's being interviewed, and that makes it um, there's a much smaller range. And sometimes you say right well, that's fine, we can do an interesting character here. I mean, you have only got, you know, 30 or seconds or, or a minute to get that character across. And sometimes you have to say, right, there's no point in even trying to do, you know, much of a character here because the, the jokes and the lines um, and to just try and do anything that's too out there is going to take away from the sketch. So it's a really interesting process of, of judging, you know, how far you can push a character and, and whether you should be trying to do much of a character at all, and, and and then it's all done on the, you know, um, at, at an enormously fast rate. So it's a very... It's a tricky show, but it's very... Uh, it's great fun.
0: So you've, you've sort of talked a bit about uh, how it works, but there aren't very many rehearsals. Does that make your life a little bit harder when you're going for the final take?
1: Yeah, you've got to make sure... You've basically got... we We... we, we we go in at 12 and we have a read-through of the, the whole show, just sitting around and reading it. And then we have a camera rehearsal that takes, you know, four or five hours, which... And you'll get probably two goes at um, doing the the, um, the sketch. And then, basically, you have dinner and you hang around until you do the sketch. So, really, you've only got two or three times to do it, and you've just got to make sure that you plot your readiness. Um, you know, and sometimes you don't really know who the character is until you put the wig on... Um, and get in the costume and say, oh, right, and that may be half an hour before. So, so yeah, it is a really um, uh, uh, tricky thing. And people like Ros Hammond are fantastic at it. You know, you put a, a wig on her and she's a different person. Um, but it's a really... it's a different skill, it really is.
0: So have there ever been any moments on the show where you've had to improvise when you've just forgotten a sketch?
1: Well, we do have auto-cube. Um on the... Uh, on the um, on the cameras, I actually don't like auto cue um, because I think if you're reading something, then it's not coming out of your head, and uh, it's a slightly different performance, and it's not as effective. So I do try and do it without auto cue. And if you make a mistake, then you just stop and you do it again. Sean occasionally has once or twice told me uh, I want you to make something up there. Um, so a couple of times with um, a character called Ian Orb Spider, he said, "You just surprised me here." Um, and I have tried to surprise him. Um, uh, But generally, if it comes out in the right order, the words come out in generally the right order, and they mean the right thing, then you get away with it. The thing about something like Mad as Hell, which has a a studio audience, is, I mean, if you make a mistake, that's fine, you can do it again, but the audience has already heard half the jokes. Mm. And so they're going to try and laugh, but it's going to be slightly forced. So you really want to just hit it the first time and get that absolutely, you know, genuine response from an audience. Um, even if it's a bit ragged round the edges, that's probably better than doing a more polished version and getting a slightly more forced response.
0: OK, well, in addition to programmes like Mad As Hell, you're also involved in one of Australia's most iconic dramas, Sea Change. What was the oh, experience oh, like working on that show?
1: Oh, I had a very minor part in Sea Change. I was, I played a guy called Simo, who was an idiot in the bar, and... Um, and I really didn't, uh, you know, I was in, I think, you know, two or three episodes every season. So, I mean, it was lovely to be part of. Um, and I think the writing was beautiful. Um, Andrew Knight um, and Deborah Cox, I think. Um, I think, you know, it was, it, was a, it was one of those really popular shows. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased to be, say I was part of it, but I was a very, very small part of it, I have to say. There was, yeah.
0: Well, you can still put your name to it.
1: I can, yeah, it goes on the CV, don't you worry about that. But, uh, yeah, Uh, I I just played an on the bar, that's all.
0: Well, earlier you mentioned you're also a teacher now. So, from a teacher's perspective, do you think that everyone can become an actor?
1: It's certainly, it's a very good question. It's certainly something that you you need to learn. I mean, it's a craft, um, and it's a craft, instead of, you know, making a violin, you're you're making yourself you're making your own performance and your your method of of performing so you can learn that there's that's no question i i think that it's like singing there are some people that are tone deaf and you probably can't teach them you can make them a little bit better but they'll never be you know really anything but a a mediocre singer and i think probably there are um some people who won't get it um and, and, and you can't um, teach, but I haven't come across them. But I, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I think that you, you probably, there are probably some people that aren't teachable, but most people are, I think, and it, and it really is something you learn. You know, advertisers, if you do an ad, um, you get called the talent. So, you know, it's can we have the talent to the set, which is always annoyed me intensely because you know the the the, the implication behind it is that you're just this sort of warm bundle of intuitive ability and and that's it and all you have to do is just put them in front of a camera and they'll be fine whereas really it's quite a tricky thing and and you know there's a lot to it and you need to work at it and learn it and it's a little bit more than just being you know talented
0: mm, absolutely but what would you do if somebody came to you who really couldn't act
1: I would, um, well, it's a, <laughs> I would probably keep on trying to teach them and taking their money. Thank you very much. <laughs> as long as they want to learn to act from me, that's fine. Um, I, yeah, I don't think it's my position to say to, the, to, say to someone you can't act because you never know. You know, something might click. You know, and they might suddenly get it. But if you know, I'm, I'm very happy to sit in the room and, and help you act, help you try to, you know, perform and, and for as long as you like. But it's not my job to tell someone you're going to make it you can't act you know because i might be wrong and some people you think yep they'll be they've got a future in the industry and and they can't get any work and some people you think well they're really offering nothing and they and they go out and get tons of work so you know you've got to be careful about um you know observations that you make about people i think it's more about you know these are the things you have to do now go away and practice them and come back and we'll work on them
0: Okay. Well, you mentioned the industry. How do you think it's changed since you first became involved in it?
1: Um, I think... uh, I think when I started um, performing, uh, you became an actor because you couldn't bear to do anything else, and if you did anything else, you'd be unhappy. Um, And you knew that you weren't going to have a particularly, um, you know... Well-off life, you knew you you were going to have to sacrifice things, and friends of yours that you know joined various companies or professions and rose to the top were going to be earning squillions more than you, um, you know, when you uh, 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 when when they were fifty. But you didn't mind that because that was the thing you put up, you sacrificed for being an actor. I think nowadays with the American TV industry and the um, prevalence of of things like Australian idol and the voice the X Factor etc etc that people think that it is an attractive it is a lucrative career, people think and instead of um, becoming an actor because they have to, they become an actor because they think they're going to make a lot of money and be famous and a lot of them are Um, so it becomes a more strategic um, thing and we go to the gym and we go to L.A. for the pilot season and we get a manager and a lawyer and an agent and, we, you know, we, we, we plot it in a much more corporate way. Um, and I think that in Australia it's a bit like the gold rush at the moment that, you know, people are just leaving to go and, you know, and there's more money to be made overseas. So, you know, in a sense, um, you don't blame them. But it does mean that I think that, I mean, people, have producers have said to me that it's impossible to cast between the ages of 20 and 30 because everyone's, you know, off in L.A. Um, And I don't think that's a good thing for the, you know, the Australian TV industry or the Australian theatre industry or the Australian cultural industry to have, you know
0: a young generation with their with their head somewhere else. But again, you know, it, it, it's a
1: you know exciting prospect to think that you can go and, you know, be in a Hollywood film. But I think that that's the difference to me, that performers aren't doing it for the love so much, they're doing it for the money. And I, you know, I, I would assume that that would change. I think if you're doing it for the money, then of an actor you are. Um, and I've got no evidence to support that, but that's just um you know my personal
0: view mm, i think you'd be quite right there as well
1: yeah.
0: so what's been your most memorable experience working in the industry
1: oh uh it's a tricky one um i um as far as well i mean there's been a lot you know as far as television goes you know i've always been a a uh, a comic actor so, um, you know, little bits of guest roles on, on TV where I've had to be dramatic have been great. And I've usually been, um, you know, the, the, the comic sidekick. Um, and I'm doing a show called Winners and Losers at the moment, which is a family drama on, on Channel 7, um, which is, you know, um, what you'd expect a family drama to be. but. Being in that has been a, a completely new experience for me because it's run for, you know, this is the fourth series we're doing now. And I actually get um, a plot line, you know, to myself. Not a huge, not often, but every once in a while. You get a plot line to yourself. It's more about the, the girls um, in the show. But that's been a really interesting process because if you're a character actor, you don't really get the, you know, the full... Um, Light of the spotlight on you, you're just sort of there as as relief. So to have to actually carry a plot line, that's a very interesting process, and that's something that you know I'm very grateful for to be able to to, to experience that. Um, apart from that, I think you know there's been uh, nights on stage where everything's worked, and um, you know you you come off thinking, well, that was that was a great night. Um, those are, the, those are the things that, that you know, that, that you remember and, and, and cherish. I think that, you know, the occasional night where everything works and, and you know, they won't stop laughing and, and you know. Um, yeah, little little moments like that.
0: Mm, they, they do make a performer feel very, very happy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So do you have any upcoming projects that our listeners can look forward to seeing you in?
1: Well, we're doing another... Um, uh, well, Mad As Hell is coming on at the end of the year so we're going to do another Mad As Hell um, in September um, which we're all looking forward to Uh, and hopefully we'll see you. there may even be some after that Um, and uh, Winners and Losers is coming back on TV I think in a month or two so I'll be all over everyone's TV screens I'm I'm afraid
0: (laughs) well that's very very exciting now finally what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry
1: um well, I think uh, persistence. I think you just got to, you know, keep on keeping on. It's the only thing you can say about anyone that's successful is they didn't give up. Um, and you know, a, a lot of people get told by their parents. I think you should, you know, have a string to your bow, a second string to your bow. So if the acting doesn't work, um, you know, you can fall back on the law or or whatever. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's, it seems like a reasonable thing to say. But I think the The problem is with a secondary career is, well, A, it's very hard to just have a job you can stop and do an audition or stop and do a show. Um, uh, But it it does... It has the the tendency to become your first career if you're not careful. So I think if you're going to have a second job, and, you know, actors have to live, um, if you are going to have a second job, then you've got to be very careful that it doesn't become your first job because it can quite easily um, do that. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm not... uh, I can't tell someone, oh, you know, you can't have any career but acting, um, but uh, I think you've got to be wary about it.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much for your wise words and your time today.
1: You're very welcome, Benjamin.
0: Thank you very much. That was Francis Greenslade. And if that wasn't interesting enough... I'm now joined by Stephen Hunter, who plays Bomber the Dwarf in The Hobbit films. Now, he's appearing at Oz Comic-Con over the weekend, which had its first day today, the Saturday 13th of September, and he's back there again tomorrow. But if you can't get there and would like to hear what he has to say, here he is now. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. Now, what inspired you to become an actor?
2: Well, probably a lot of things. Um, I guess... uh... You know, like in school, you sort of try and find a find a way to fit in and you uh, have to try and find what you're good at. And uh, I guess that was sort of a bit of both. I really enjoyed doing school musicals and making people laugh. And it was uh, kind of a good way to try and fit in with the in crowd as well.
0: So how would you describe your career so far?
2: Um, I don't know, patchy probably <laughs> because it, it takes a while, you know. Um, you know, like getting something like The Hobbit was obviously a massive... A massive job, but um, you know up till that stage it was I was sort of grafting away. Uh, look, I didn't really decide or you know seriously become an actor till I was thirty um, or just before I was thirty when I got my first agent. I, I worked in in radio for a long time doing you know writing commercials and and you know producing doing audio production and you know managing radio stations. So it was I was sort of a late starter in, in that uh, in that sense. But um, yeah, I, I guess you know pretty like a lot of actors, it's it is up and down. You just have to. Have so to keep going, really, and um, you know, just keep working hard for the next role.
0: So I suppose it was a lot of knocking on doors before The Hobbit came along.
2: Yeah, yeah, and there still is. You know, like it doesn't. Uh, you know, you don't get a big movie like this. Then, well, I mean, it depends on what the movie is and what your role is in it. But you know, for me, it hasn't. Um, you know, you don't suddenly.
0: So what would be your ideal project if you were able to choose? Absolutely. Now, a lot of people would you, would know you from playing Bomba in the Hobbit films. How would you describe that character? Um. Well, it's he's uh, he's a little bit naive. He's quite respectful. Um, I guess he's pretty straightforward um, and
2: very loyal. Like he's very loyal to you know to, to what goes on to all the other. I guess the elder statesmen of the group and and to his brother in particular, um, Bofa. He's very loyal to him and to his, his older cousin Biffa um, but yeah I, I think he's, he, he he just sort of goes along with it really um, but you know if someone says do this he'll do it you know he's, he's uh, he'll follow the rules pretty well
0: mm. and how did this role come about for you?
2: Uh, well I, I was uh, I always kept in touch with my uh, New Zealand agent and, and um, you know I had my Australian agent at the time here as well was uh, you know also you know trying to find it in for this job but I, I think I remember getting hold of Liz in New Zealand pretty two years before the project came underway and I said look I, I really, I'm really, i really keen to sort of get back in touch and to try and do the Hobbit you know because I know it's they think you're making it and um, I knew you know being a, a New Zealand citizen that um, I'd probably have a, a better chance going by the New Zealand route than in Sydney, because, you know, there's a there's a lot more people, and I'm sort of a sm- much smaller fish in Sydney at the time, and, you know, I, I thought my chances were higher, and as it turned out, that's where I did get my audition, so um, I flew over there, um, didn't tell them that I was based in Sydney, and uh, went over and, and uh, you know, met the casting director in Auckland, did one audition, um, I thought it went really well, I, I, I actually walked out thinking, I reckon I've got a good good show at getting something, I knew they were casting like 13 dwarves, I thought, Look, you know, they've got to cast. And I thought I had as good a good shot as any, and um, yeah, three months later I, I got, uh, got called and got off of the job.
0: So obviously, it was shot in New Zealand. How much of the country hadn't you seen before where you were filming? It would have been a great experience.
2: Yeah, it was.
0: So were you a fan of the Hobbit book before you started shooting the film? Yeah, and initially it was announced as one film, but were you aware of Peter Jackson's plan to turn it into a trilogy?
2: Basically, a children's story, and and a lot more was evolved over the years. So, you know, the the, the beauty is you, you know, you get to experience a lot of what would have been happening at the time that maybe wasn't written in the original book.
0: Mm. And obviously, they're very iconic films now. Does that create a different atmosphere on set, knowing how massive they have been and are going to be? With that expectation, does it put an extra pressure on you to deliver even higher than you normally would?
2: out the characters and he wanted to make each one unique um, and luckily they did that with a lot of the design but yeah I mean there, there was pressure because you know we, we, you wanted to be the best you know I want to be the best bomber that uh, that there could be and you know one that, that people can really relate to and you know be proud of
0: Absolutely So which of the films was your favourite to work on?
2: Well it's hard because we, we, we worked on the whole on all three of them really well it was two it wasn't we didn't know if it was, was going to be three to right to the very end but um, we sort of worked all the way through, um, so we didn't sort of like work on one then, okay we're working on two, we were, we, I mean it, it was chronological the way we, we shot it, um, I, I think you know it was always very special at the start because you know we got to we started in Bag End basically, well I mean the first thing shot were, was um, was Andy and Martin in the, like the, the Riddles in the Dark and the reason they shot that early is because Andy was going to move on to, to direct second unit which You know, that was a place that was, we were really familiar with and, you know, having Ian walking in dressed up as Gandalf and, you know, that was, uh, that was pretty special.
0: Mm, it would have been. Have you seen the final film yet? Uh, of oh, the third? Yeah, the, the third one. Have you seen the third one?
2: Uh, I don't think anyone's seen it. <laughs> OK, well, from... I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll probably get to see it uh, at a premiere somewhere, I'd imagine.
0: So what do you think audiences can expect, obviously without spoiling it, from the final film?
2: Think you, you don't they'll get the, a, a great conclusion to to a great story, you know. I guess same with Lord of the Rings. You know, the the third movie, the Battle of the Five Armies, is really the you know the, the end, the third act of a of, of a you know what's, what's going to be sort of close to a sort of eight or nine hour movie. So um, you know, the, I think things will tie up, and um, and obviously, the, you know, being called the Battle of the Five Armies, uh, that's going to play quite a significant part in it too.
0: Mm. Now, obviously, you're in Sydney for Oz Comic Con at the moment. Yeah. Have you been surprised by the fan reaction?
2: Well, I'm about to, I'm, you know, about to discover that this weekend. Obviously, um, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't done a, a con in, in Sydney before, or the, And we get to meet up with our old, you know, our old workmates. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to just seeing what Sydney's got to offer. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be great to do a show in my own backyard.
0: Have you done any of the overseas conventions yet?
2: Uh, yeah, I've done a couple in Germany, one called HobbitCon, um, that's run by the guys who do FedCon and RingCon. Uh, and and uh, that's really good because it's basically like a lot of the cast go to that, like a lot of the dwarves, you know, we all get together. So that, that's a really, it's just a nice catch up with everybody. Um, and I also, I went to uh, Sweden and, and uh, I've got family over there and I just, I just popped in for a couple of days and, and met a few people over there as well. So yeah, that, that was a lot of fun.
0: Obviously some wonderful experiences for you. So finally, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performing arts? Well, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, we all look forward to seeing the final Hobbit film.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much, and uh, I can't wait to see everybody else at Comic-Con in
0: Sydney. That was Stephen Hunter. Now, since I last released a podcast, there's only been one major movie release, and that is the environmental thriller Night Moves. This film is very reminiscent of Alfred Hitchcock's early works. And while the beginning is a little bit slow, the writing in general is amazing, and the cast are also fantastic. So I would check this one out. I'm giving it 3.5 stars, but of course you can always read my full reviews of the films that I talk about here online, in the movie reviews section of the website, preacherspodcast.net. And of course all movie reviews are thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas, one of my glorious supporters And of course, there's also Roadshow Entertainment, who this month are releasing a ton of wonderful films and TV shows, including The Australian Made, Anzac Girls, which is still airing on ABC at the moment, but I've been lucky enough to get a a copy of that DVD early, and it is some seriously astounding Australian drama, so I will check that one out if you can. Another great release from Roadshow this month is Shetland, based on the novels by Anne Cleves, And it's a quite intense detective uh, series from ITV, which Roadshow are also releasing. And, of course, for lovers of comedy, there's the Alan Partridge specials, which are now available on DVD. And they're quite entertaining as well. And they're all Roadshow entertainment releases. And, of course, our other wonderful dvd supporter is madman entertainment and they've got some truly wonderful releases out now and i'll be checking back with them in a ton of new releases including the double i'll be reviewing that in the next podcast and also another and our last fabulous supporter, Mad Zombie Collectibles, who specialise in all collectible needs, and as I said, some of my favourites are the Pop Vinyl figures, in especially their Marvel Rangers. and they've got a whole lot more, so check them out online. Their link is in this in the credits for this podcast, or also go to their shop in, uh, in Twin Street off Rundle Mall in Adelaide. And you can also find them at conventions around Australia. My guests today have been Francis Greenslade and Stephen Hunter. You can check out the podcast online on iTunes and you can follow the company on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash preacherspodcast and twitter.com slash preacherspodcast. I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay, and we'll be back in early October with another exciting episode. See you then.